Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger, today with my fabulous co-host. Actually, we have two fabulous co-hosts, but first introduce yourself, Chris. Hey, everyone. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. And, and we, my, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you introduce him. <laughs> my boyfriend, TC. Uh, who is responsible for a lot of my hypertrophy training. He runs his own business called Reckless Training, uh, where he works with athletes, both men's physique competitors, uh, power builders, power lifters, uh, gen pop people. Uh, he's very handsome. <laughs> on youtube to look at him <laughs> uh, but yeah so we're bringing him on for some additional information focused on some um, hypertrophy and power building yeah we had some questions from our listeners so thank you listeners for dming us on instagram you can always find us at prep life podcast if you have other topics that you would like to hear about and so i really appreciate your time tc coming on today um i really have always recommended any guy that comes to me that wants to do something, either men's physique or get like in better shape, lose body fat, um, work on some weight training goals. I always send them your way because I just feel like you're extremely knowledgeable. And I've been very impressed with just um, what I've seen that you've done with Chris's physique. And, um, I've also seen your men's physique competitor, at least one of them on stage and you did an excellent job with him. And, um, yeah, I just, I feel like all of the glam girls were female owned and operated. And, um, a lot of times the guys will see what their ladies are doing and they want to get in shape too. And so I always feel like you're a good reference for them. So any manicorns out there, that's what we call everybody's significant <laughs> others that are a guy. <laughs> you want to be a glam guy. <laughs> yeah. See. <laughs> so, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about like your certifications and your education, um, and kind of where you come from and all that? Uh, sure. Um, so I grew up playing sports, uh, like a lot of lifting athletes. Now I did football, wrestling, lacrosse. Um, I went to school at UNC Chapel Hill and did a bunch of other things in between then and now. Um. I actually got my ACE certification first when I was in school, um, but I let that lapse because of everything else I was doing in between. Uh, I came back, uh, I guess it was about four years ago now, I got my NASM certification just for the CPT. And since then, I've been doing uh, different certifications like performance enhancement, um, corrective exercise, um, female-specific training, um, just I went through the Kabuki strength athlete coaching certification course. Um, I just, I, there's so much information out there that like training technologies are just, they're ever expanding. And every, every time you get a new piece of information, you're able to expand on that even faster and faster. So it's kind of amazed me at how fast a lot of like records are being broken and how just sports just continue to increase. And there's a reason for that. It's not just drugs. It's because training technologies have been improving and increasing at such a dramatic rate. Um, that it's, it's, first of all, it's impossible to, to keep up. So all we can do is just, you know, try our best. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I started powerlifting competitively, uh, four to five years ago as well. Um, I did pretty well. Um, and, and then hurt myself because it's just like a lot of lifters. I tried to go too fast, um, too far, too fast, I guess you could say. And since then, um, I have been given the, the gift of injury, which forces you to slow down and really um, look inward a little more and become more intentional uh, with your training and create this marathon mentality of it's the long game that matters, right? This, this competition coming up is not the last one I'll ever do. This show coming up this weekend is not the last one I'll ever do. This prep that I'm going through right now is not the last one I'll ever do. And really creating that marathon mentality, I think, has enabled people to First of all, reduce the stress and anxiety that comes across with a lot of prep, um, but also it allows you to go further. So, yes, um, definitely with Chris, like she stresses a lot about this show. And like when she stresses her like physique just does not do well. So stress mitigation is like the name of the game when it comes to Chris. 
Um, you both know that so, so well. Yeah. Your <laughs> wife and your husband. No. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, she was pointing to herself that if you're on <laughs> the podcast and not on uh, YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um, I coach a lot of intentionality uh, versus um, like different modalities. I just think that if you if you're not able to be intentional with your workouts, your workouts are not going to be as efficient as you as you want them to be. Um, whereas when you know exactly what you're trying to do, which is a learning process in itself. But when you know exactly what you're trying to do, you're able to actually target what you want to target a lot better. So that's kind of how I train is, is like, is create the intentionality. Um, you know, as coaches, we're educators, right? So we have to educate the people on what they're trying to do and then educate them on how to, how to get to that point. So. Yeah. I love that. So are you're also working on, I think your bodybuilding specific certification in NASM. Have, have you started that? Or- yes. Um, I, I started it. Um, it's it, that, kind of like my certifications are read at will. <laughs> so I have, I have to get one done every two years to maintain the NASM CPT certification, but I try to do more than that. Um, sometimes it just doesn't end up working because our schedules are so busy. Like, I mean, we're traveling all the time. And in addition to building reckless training, I'm trying to expand hundred percent raw powerlifting. I'm trying to do some in-person training so that I can get better at coaching people, especially virtually. Um, it's tough, you know, it's, it's, it's tough getting, getting people to fix problems that they're experiencing, especially when they, they come from movement compensations that you're not there to put a hand on them and correct. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, I am working through that one. It's uh NASM. It is bodybuilding physique specific. Um, it's, it's been okay. There are a lot of things that you can't necessarily outwardly talk about in bodybuilding. So that's kind of like kind of left in the dark, but a lot of the hypertrophy training specifics, uh, the, the nutrition and, and dietary and like cardio aspects of cutting weight and, and uh, stuff like that is included. So it's definitely a good um, like spark notes course for bodybuilding. So it's awesome. Yeah. So can you tell us about, I know specifically you really helped Chris with her scoliosis. And I think that's one thing that you know, Chris and I both were in the trenches for several years, just training people one-on-one and you learn so many lessons by doing that. And then you can kind of transfer that, you know, online. So what are some ways that I know I'm asking you multiple questions here, but, um, what are ways in which you helped her like with her scoliosis and then kind of like some lessons that you've learned on how to transfer, you know, working with somebody online virtually when you can't put your hands on them. Sure. Um, so that's actually, those, those are a very, a very well paired, uh, questions, I think. Um, so when I first started trying to help Chris with her scoliosis and back pain, um, the very first thing we did was address core strength. Um, core, your core, if you think about how your body is shaped, you have, your rib cage and your torso, which isn't very flexible, but then you have your abdomen, which is just a series of stacked vertebrae on top of each other that has virtually no uh, structural integrity without the, the muscular system. So without a strong active core, it's virtually impossible for you to be to pain-free in your back, especially your low back. That's why Americans suffer a lot from low back pain. Uh, it's just that the core is inactive and then it, it gets tight and then gets weak. So, um, uh, so backing up, going back to Chris's training, uh, like I said, the very first thing we did was to try to create some structural integrity, um, in her abdomen. And we did that very first with dead bugs, which it is like one of the simplest looking exercises and it can be super easy, but it can also be super, super freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Um, dead bugs, for those of you that are familiar, you lie on your back with your knees at a 90 degree angle and your hands straight up like this. And that's the, that's the basic pose. And you just lay there, keep your back straight and push your spine to the ground, keep your head against the ground. So as the description seems, it could be very easy, but if you actually try to get the full benefit out of the exercise, your abs are going to start burning very quickly. And then the progression from that is teaching you how to move your extremities around a braced core. 
So from that starting position, you start doing movements with just your arms. You can put weights in your hands and do arms like that. But the goal is to keep your lumbar spine super, super stable and rigid. So if you think about things like a hip thrust, for example, if you're unable to keep your back super stable, your pelvis from the top can't be anchored. So your glutes then don't have anything to pull against. So having that super anchored pelvis is integral to being able to build muscles like your glutes or really, I mean, literally any muscle. You have to be able to anchor a muscle to be able to isolate it and build it. Um, so, and everything starts from the core. And now obviously as bikini athletes, the next logical uh, movement is, is training your glutes, which a lot of other athletes don't have that benefit because most of your power comes from your glutes. But a lot of guys, like, they don't want to go over and sit there and do, like, hip thrust hip after thrust. hip thrust, you know what I mean? So, what you're missing out on, you know? I try, all my guys do hip thrust, but mm -hmm. that's, like I said, that's where your power comes from. Yeah. So, yeah, and then translating that to, like, virtual clients, uh, like I said, ha has been kind of tough because I do like putting my hands on people when I'm, like, trying to manipulate their bodies because oftentimes – after years of compensation patterns, your proprioception becomes altered. And you might think that you're standing straight when you're kind of cocked like this. Like for me, my deadlifts, when I think I'm straight, a lot of times my head is tilted to the side. And my right side is a lot more activated right now than my left side is. And that comes from my back injury and the compensation patterns of being in a car and sitting like this. And But like all these little things that you don't necessarily see when you have someone, you know, apply online. Uh, you start to see these things in person. So it gives you the tools to be able to create assessments so that you can put a magnifying glass on these things. Like I do a, a single leg squat, which tells you so much about core strength, tells you about adductor strength, it tells you about abductor strength, tells you about uh, quad and hamstring stability, and it tells you about torso rigidity too. So it tells you a lot in just that one little assessment. Um, but that's, that's probably one of my favorite assessments for core strength and for lower leg strength as well, uh, that, that I've learned to use from that. So do you ever do FaceTime, uh, or zoom kind of personal training sessions? Um, if you have somebody that doesn't live near you or do like a loom video when they send you like a form video and you give them feedback. Yeah. So, so I do like doing the loom videos for form feedback because I can, uh, if you haven't noticed yet, <laughs> I can tend to ramble on and on about certain things, but it's because I just, I have a lot that I want to share with you and everything that's in my head. I try to share with you all at once, which doesn't necessarily always work out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I like to inform like loom review videos, uh, because it allows you to kind of point to exactly what I'm looking at so that they can start to feel and think about what I'm looking at so that when they go and record their own lifts in the gym, they know what I'm looking for so that they can look for it and then they can improve upon that uh, more readily. And that goes back to the intentionality that I was talking about earlier is the more intentional you can be, the more you know exactly what your goal is, the, the more you can work towards it. Okay. And this listener specifically had a question about hypertrophy training for Chris as a bodybuilder. And then kind of the difference between that as like training for strength or power, um, kind of, can you differentiate the two goals for our listeners and then kind of talk about how you merge together for your own training with power building, um, and kind of how that's evolved. Sure. Um, oh man. So this is a, this is kind of a long, uh, answer <laughs> here. Um, so for, let's just start with strength versus power. Strength is just the absolute um, show of how, how, how do I want to say this? I wrote it down. Get your notes out. Yeah, because I wrote it down <laughs> here. So strength is the absolute amount of force able to be applied. Power, uh, I define as the ability to apply that strength quickly slash forcefully uh, and power is the absolute balance between speed and strength. So I actually pulled up this graph, which I'm just going to spin this around real quick and see if you guys can see it. And for so, our listeners, kind of describe it if you can. Sure. So this graph has force on the vertical and velocity on the horizontal. Your maximum strength output is going to be at the top on the left by the force. And then your speed is going to be at the bottom end of the curve to the right on the velocity. 
So in the middle is going to be your power output, which is going to be the marriage of speed and strength. Okay. So power training. Um, I don't know that bodybuilding athletes ever necessarily need power specific right. training, right? Yeah. Um, because that's like where that's like your Olympic weightlifters, you know, your explosive mm-hmm. lifts, your clean and jerks, your pressing cleans, like stuff like that, that actually needs that the speed and the force output. So like your athletes too, you know, if like performance. exactly, exactly. So if, if you're an athlete or if you have athletic endeavors and you're crossing over into bodybuilding, yeah, sure. You're going to want to keep some power cleans in there. You're going to want to keep some power specific training in there. Um, now I, I am of the opinion that like strength and hypertrophy training really go hand in hand because hypertrophy training and bodybuilding allow you to have a balanced not only a balanced physique, but a balanced um, musculoskeletal system. So when it's unbalanced, you have altered length tension relationships, your mobility can be changed and your risk of injury goes through the roof. Um, So whereas if you can balance those things, you can actually perform maximally. So let's talk about a powerlifting meet where you're going up for one rep maxes. You can perform that without having a risk for injury because you don't have certain muscles overpowering the other muscles. Um, so let's see, where, where do I want to go from that? Can you define hypertrophy for our listeners? Just kind of give that out the definition of that. And then, um, so hypertrophy is muscle growth, right? So when you're training for hypertrophy specific, um, you are specifically looking for muscle tears in as many muscle fibers and whatever muscles you're attacking as possible. Um, so hypertrophy training, a lot of research has shown that to have maximum hypertrophy training, you want to come as close to failure as possible. Um, I coach, especially novice and intermediate lefters to go as close to technical failure rather than mechanical failure, because when you move to mechanical failure, uh, a lot of times we'll start compensating. You start using other muscles and you're no longer isolating or targeting the muscle that you're trying to work. Um, so, yeah. So the reason that I think that powerlifting and hypertrophy or, or bodybuilding are, it, it's a great marriage because powerlifting teaches you how to utilize, how to activate and utilize every single muscle fiber in each group. So your muscle fibers are all or nothing, right? So it's like a light switch each individual muscle fiber in this bicep has a light switch and just picking my arm up like this, I may only need 5% of my muscle fibers, but those 5% are activating hundred percent of their capacity. Now what powerlifting does is it teaches you how to use hundred percent of those muscle fibers, obviously to their maximum capacity, but it teaches you how to use all of your muscle fibers at once so that when you bring it back to your hypertrophy training, you can really maximize on that hypertrophy training so that all of those muscle fibers are getting those little micro tears that you want for the muscle, muscle growth. And then, like I said, uh, inversely is you balance everything out and you reduce the risk of injury for your maximum effort days. Um, now, having said that, uh, I believe that powerlifting – like we were talking about requires a lot of core rigidity. Um, so it can produce like kind of that wide bodybuilder waistline, which I definitely have. Um, but when you're taught to brace in powerlifting, you're taught to brace into your belt. So you, you breathe in your diaphragmatic, you build that intra-abdominal pressure. So you breathe into your diaphragm. So that your diaphragm goes down into your stomach and you push that out to the belt. And then you brace your abs on top of that. And that continually expands your waistline, right? Um, now, when we train maximum intensity for some for someone who's going on a bodybuilder stage and we need that, you know, the V taper, the hourglass look, we need that smaller waist, it has to be more geared towards uh, muscular control versus absolute bracing power, right? So Chris is never going to go up and do a one rep max squat. She's not going to do one rep max Okay, she might do one rep max deadlift, but like you yeah. know, that's just because she has a devil boyfriend on her shoulder telling <laughs> her. It's, it's fun. Yeah, um, but also sumo deadlift. There's very low risk for injury when it's done properly and form overweight every single time. You know, we we don't sacrifice form for anything. Um, but anyway, so teaching that 
first of all, building the abdominal strength necessary to be able to perform these compound lifts is necessary, but then you have those muscles and you learn how to control them specifically for your stage time. So you can, when people do an ab vacuum, yes, they're bringing their diaphragm up into their rib cage. But the other thing that's happening is your transverse abdominis and your obliques are being activated and they're being pulled in and it makes your waistline so much smaller. So you can do this just standing up and, and, you know, if you're a lap layer, if you're doing a, a men's physique competitor, or if you're a bikini competitor in your front pose, you can think about getting nice and upright and bring your abs in and it creates that hourglass look. So, um, yeah, there, there are a lot, a lot of reasons why I think that powerlifting and bodybuilding go hand in hand. And I just really think that when you have a marathon mentality, you're able to cycle your training um, blocks to where you can really maximize the potential of each one. So, you know, so you build muscle, you maximize strength potential for that muscle. You build muscle, you maximize strength potential for that muscle. And then maximizing the strength potential for that muscle allows you to lift more weights in your hypertrophy session. Your hypertrophy sessions allow you to have uh, longer cardiovascular endurance for your powerlifting sessions, and it goes back and forth. Um, so, yeah, really, uh, we've really found that they go hand in hand very, very well. And I think that the two of us are very good um, examples as to, as to, you know, how well it can work. Yeah. Can you kind of give our audience the definition of in terms when you're thinking about like sets and reps, time under tension? uh, rest phases, um, you know, even like cadence of the workouts and things like that. What does that look like when you're talking about the differences between hypertrophy and, uh, strength training for strength? So that's a good question. Um, like I touched on earlier, hypertrophy training research has shown that bringing your sets as close to failure as possible, um, will have the best hypertrophic result. Um, I am a firm believer that sets of eight to 12 is a tremendous starting point for probably any athlete. Um, because the first thing you have to really learn is intentionality, of course, but then maximal effort. Um, if you don't know how to push maximally, like you're, you're leaving so much progress on the table and I, and it, it sounds like, duh, like every time I go in the gym, I'm working as hard as I can, but until until you truly have worked as hard as you possibly can, you don't know what it feels like. And, mm -hmm. and just working hard feels like I'm working as hard as I can. So this isn't a jab at anyone. This isn't a cut on anyone. This is just saying, like, understand that it's going to take a little while to learn how to push your body to its absolute limits and really work for that so that you can get every ounce of progress that you can on your training sessions. Um, having said that, for, like, the 8 to 12 rep range, what I tell my clients is, like, if you can do 12 reps, go up and wait. If you can't do 12 reps yet, um, don't go up and wait. And it has to be perfect form. Uh, it, this is not a 12 rep grinder where your shoulders are moving all over the place <laughs> for a bench press, right? This is like, the, these are perfect form reps. And if you were to do another rep, your form would break down. So that's what we're looking for. And I think that that keeps you striving to increase the weight. It keeps you striving to continue to push harder. And because everyone wants to move up and wait, right? So if you tell them that, that they're not allowed to until their form is perfect and they can perform 12 reps for all three working sets, like they're going to continue striving for that. So in terms of strength versus hypertrophy, um, strength training, I would probably put down lower in like the one to six rep range, but I wouldn't have anyone do that until their form is perfected. Um, your, your brain remembers the last rep that you did for any exercise. And if the last rep that you did is trash, then the next time you come to the gym, your body's still having to try to figure out how it's supposed to do this lift. Mm -hmm. So the way I describe your neuromuscular pathway to people, which is learning how to use certain muscles for certain movements is the first time you do that movement, you're walking down a deer path with a machete trying to get through without getting cut by the thorns. Okay, now after you do it a couple times, every time you walk down that pathway, you have your machete and you're making that pathway a little wider and a little wider and a little wider. Now, when you're looking at these elite level weightlifters, they're going down six lane highways at 100 miles an hour <laughs> because they've done it so many times. You have to put the reps in. So, but once you've built that neuromuscular pathway, that's when you can start saying, okay, now I have the neuromuscular pathway. 
I have to make every single rep look exactly the same. And then once every rep looks exactly the same, you can start doing singles, doubles, and triples to where you can start tapering down for, you know, actual maximum effort uh, output. Uh, but without that form consistency, you can do a single, you come back tomorrow and do another single, it might look completely different. And in that case, you're, you're going to have a very hard time growing if you're not doing every single rep the same. Um, yeah, I like that analogy a lot. It's like a really good visual <laughs> to think yeah, about. Yeah, and it's, it's I, I've used it for everyone and it's just like, it it, it kind of like makes it click, right? Because when you're mm -hmm. first doing it and you start to realize, hey, I'm getting stronger. You're not necessarily getting stronger. It's just like you're you're understanding how you have to do it and that neuromuscular pathway, you're getting the cobwebs out of it. So, yeah. So can you tell us about rest time, the differences sure. there? Yeah, rest, um, tempo, time under tension. Um, those are all things that uh, I kind of add in as we go. So like we have the basics that we, we attack first. Um, rest period, I usually keep, I, I'll just tell people 60 to 90 seconds on the beginning. Now, as we move through, if you have big compound lifts, I'll probably give like, I only like going two to three minutes. I've seen rest periods as long as five minutes for bigger compound lifts. And I, if you're in a deload week or if you're prepping for a powerlifting meet, you can probably take a little more time in between sets because in the meet, when you're waiting for the flight to go and, and you're you to get back up to be the next lifter on the platform, it will probably be five to six minutes. Um, so you kind of want those longer rest periods. But other than that, I don't really see any reason to rest that long. Um, honestly, in the beginning of my powerlifting days, I would superset everything it, from compound lifts to isolation lifts to accessory. Everything had a superset because I was building my cardiovascular. I was building, I was trying to build everything at that time. Um, now, as we know, building everything is not as efficient as building one thing at a time. Right. So um, we use these advanced modalities like time under tension, um, changing your range of motion, um, drop sets, things like that to really increase the uh, like energy expenditure, you could say, of, of, a, of a workout program. Um, there are different reasons for different things. Now, I am a huge fan of tempo training. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, Chris does. <laughs> everyone hates it. Um, but everyone also tells me that they get very, very sore from tempo training and their joints do not hurt as badly as when they just go in there and they beat the crap out of their bodies. Yeah. Um, so the other thing tempo training does is it really allows you to feel like, hey, I am feeling this in my lats or, hey, I'm not feeling this in my lats. I'm feeling this all on my biceps. So it allows you to really slow the movement down instead of just going through the motions. It, it brings back that intentionality that we were talking about. You know, it makes you think about, am I hitting the muscle that I want to hit? Am I using the muscle that I want to use to hold this exercise, to hold this, you know, contraction? Um, and am I feeling it where I'm supposed to be feeling it at the end of the exercise? So we will manipulate rest periods. Uh, they'll come down when we're doing um, like higher rep loads or deload weeks, or we're trying to, you know, burn a, a few extra calories in a workout session. Um, they'll go up if I really want the, the muscles fresh so that they can, you know, have a really good tempo set. You know, if you, if, if you have tempo and it's like uh, a three second hold and a five second negative, I'm probably not going to make you turn around and do it again in 30 seconds. You know, it's going to be at least 60 to 90 seconds later that you're going to be doing this. Um, but I do a lot of superset work um, to make sure that you are still moving through these exercises. Um, so now with supersets, I do like opposing muscle groups. I know some people do one muscle group for each superset. I like to do opposing stuff to, again, keep your cardiovascular endurance uh, building, but also to uh, make sure that each muscle group is fresh. And basically when one muscle group is being worked, the other one is getting rested so that when you come back after 30 seconds after that superset, you can get right back into it. Okay. Yeah. Chris, do you have anything that you wanted to have the audience uh, learn about that you've kind of learned from TC or. Um... Yeah. So I have like something directly applicable for bikini and, and wellness, like female athletes, when we're talking about um, like, cause I know some people are seeing me on, like have seen me on Instagram, lift it, like hip thrusting, like 300 some pounds and, like doing super heavy lifts and what TC's talking about with technical failure. Um, so 
I'll do like a heavy hip thrust until I feel like my, um, my like different muscles are taking over rather than the ones I'm trying to isolate. So for example, I'll hip thrust heavy on my glutes. And then when I feel like that is translating over into my hamstrings or my adductors or my quads or, or something different. And now I feel like, okay, now these muscles are starting. They were like 10, 20% feeling it during the movement. Now they're coming up to like 30 and 40%. And it's like turning, it's muting my glutes a little bit more because now they're fatigued. That's when I know to stop like continuing in that um, exercise. So it's, I think it's something like T.C. was talking about is like, you have to learn how to understand your body and be very connected with your muscle groups to be able to focus in on where you're supposed to be training. And the weight is like, not the first thing you should chase. You shouldn't just go in there and say like, okay, I'm going to go really heavy because I can perform this exercise heavy. When you are bodybuilding and you're looking for hypertrophy, you're looking to focus on certain areas. And so like, that's an example that I've used, um, for like growing my glutes is I do like hip thrusting heavy. Cause I do feel like it wakes everything up and it, my body's like, okay, we are now working. And then I can drop weight and then like AMRAP the next set really isolating. And I can feel my glutes more. Um, so there's like a different feeling. I think when you're training for like strength, um, we're doing like a, a set for just like strength and there's a different feeling when you're trying to really isolate the glutes and I think like having different variations like how it's set in your program throughout your workout has helped me make that connection stronger make my body stronger and also helped me grow um so I don't know like that that helps with just kind of like connecting the dots with something specific that um, I've done in the gym yeah definitely uh, specifically, I wanted to ask you too about how you've transformed, uh, like with your scapula and your back and yeah. building your rear delts, like with your scoliosis, maybe you can just, um, elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. I've always had trouble. I think building my shoulders, like I could grow them, but it was with the growth of like my triceps and my biceps and like other muscles, like also growing. Um, and yes, you do need those muscles to have like form and like, they help with the aesthetic. You're not just a body with shoulders and glutes up there as a bikini competitor. But I do think that like getting the fullness and the roundness of my shoulders was compromised because I didn't have good scapular control. Um, I think that's part of why I ended up with a trap injury at one point is because like, I wasn't able to like stabilize my shoulder girdle. And so um, going through some like rehab work with TC and then specific cueing of what my scapula should be doing in a shoulder press or what my scapula or my head position should be doing in a lateral raise, um, just focusing on like posture, upper body, like functionality has allowed me to isolate specific muscle groups better, which in turn helps them grow Um because I can, I can add more weight because I know how to control that muscle. Um, better and you know, and you know, if it's not working properly and that's really yeah. the important part because like a lot of people, they'll just add weight and they'll think that, okay, I'm still working my shoulders because I can press this weight, but just because you're doing this doesn't mean that you're working your delts. And that's like, that's where the real disconnect is. I think is, is like teaching how to, well, be intentional about things, you know, like teaching people what it feels like to have your delts worked, what it feels like to have your glutes worked versus your low back and your hip flexors, you know? And like, yeah, I think, I think that that's a really good point. So. And there are days where certain exercises just don't work. Mm -hmm. Like, I, and I think that that's okay. I think there's something like when you're first getting started, you need to, you need to follow a program. You need to talk to your coach. You need that guidance. And then I think as you advance, you start to understand your body a little bit differently. And so if I go to the gym and I'm doing a shoulder press and I'm like, man, like my traps are lighting up, my triceps are lighting up. I cannot like hone in on my delts right now. 
I just throw out that exercise and that do I'm not wasting my time on it. It's not benefiting me. And I learned to choose something else where I feel like I can isolate. Um, or I go back to like a warm up exercise, um, to kind of like reestablish that connection again. Like it's a lot about like problem solving. So like if that exercise worked great for you last week and you're like, yes, this is my exercise. And this week it's just not like, it's not working. Like don't get upset. That was one thing that was really hard for me as I follow the plan. I follow the rules. This is what should be happening. And when it's not, I get discouraged, but I've learned to be a little bit more flexible in my mentality of like choosing something that's going to work for my body in that day. And, you know, maybe because we've been driving a long time, my hip flexors need more time to loosen up so that I can actually get a good glute workout. Or I've been sitting at my computer like the whole previous day. So my traps are tight. My shoulders are forward. Like you just have to pay attention to your, your body and or you're going to plateau sometimes. Like we've gone through yeah. cycles where hip thrusts work freaking phenomenal for Chris. And then all of a sudden she's like, I don't know, hip thrusts aren't working today. And then it's like, you know, a week later, she's saying the same thing. Okay, well then we're going to take them out. And we've had blocks where all we've done is basically like except quote unquote accessory work, like cable pull throughs and curtsy lunges and vertical hip thrusts and just trying to like switch it up to like, and, and that's where that uh, keep your body guessing comes into play. Like <laughs> it's been kind of become a joke because a lot of people take to the extreme and do a different workout every single time they go into the gym. Right. You can't do that. You have to have some linear progression, right? You have to be able to build on something. Um, but at the same time, like when something's not working, you have to be able to change directions. So I've also like, I've gone in thinking I'm going to do chest one day and just completely scrapped it and done something else because I've done like three exercises in a row and just wasn't working for me. And, you know, but, but that comes with being in tune with your body and, and having that alternative, you know, and when you're first starting out, like Chris said, I think it's really, really important to spend the time to become intimate with your body um, and to really learn what cues work for you, uh, what cues don't work for you what exercises work for you and keep in mind that that, that will change over the course of your career as an athlete, um, what exercises don't work for you, et cetera. You know, um, I think it's really, really important to spend time in the gym outside of your training program where you're just like figuring out how your body works. And I know that sounds really weird because it's like, I mean, I've lived in this body for 30 plus years. You know, I know how my body works, but I, I guarantee you don't. I guarantee that there are things that you can still learn no matter how long you've been working out for, no matter, no matter how old you are, how long you've been working out, no matter your level of athleticism, I guarantee there's still things that you can learn about your body. I'm still learning. Like I'm the past two years. That's all I've been doing is learning about my body, scapular control, hip control, ab control, like uh, posing practice, lap control. Like it's, it's crazy the amount of things that you can continue to learn about your body if you just take the time to listen to what it's trying to tell you. And your your specific anatomy is mm -hmm. different. So mm -hmm. like you see your favorite pro doing such and such exercise and she has huge glutes and you're like, I need to be doing that exercise. And like, maybe you're not like, because of your like femur, femur and hip socket, your like abduction, range of motion is different and so like that's really not going to do the same thing for you mm -hmm. so that's why it's like we always say like it's you against you it's it's your your body is not like any other human beings on this earth and so taking time yeah so taking time to understand it and learn it and you mm -hmm. you know use the guidance of your coach while you're discovering those things like be part of that conversation they're not there to just tell you what to do they're there to help guide you prompt questions help you figure it out but like really I mean Amy you said it you're the captain of your ship like you're there's a lot of work that an athlete has to do on their own time to kind of like figure out those nuances to get the, the, the benefit I think yeah I feel like every time I use the EMG which is basically like a sensor those of you that don't know you put on a specific muscle and you see like different exercises, like for the glutes, for example, that's a typical one that I'll do on athletes. And I'm, I, I've learned not to go in with any expectation that the same exercises are going to work for everybody, because it's, yeah. if you ever have the opportunity to go through, 
you know, different exercises, see what like is working contraction wise. And it's just mind blowing to me how different people, different angles of how you hip thrust, like using a band, you know, how your feet are positioned, um, using wedges, like elevation. It's just amazing how the human body and how we all function differently. And there's definitely specific exercises that do really well. And then, like you said, I guess there could be days that maybe some of those did work, but (laughs) I don't know. Um, but yeah, so, all right. Is there anything that you wanted to share with the audience, um, in regards to hypertrophy training? Like, are there specific exercises or muscle groups that you kind of ever break the rule of that eight to 12 rep range, um, TC? Um, yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) yes, is the short answer. Um, yes, I will say (laughs) that I have not counted my reps in a, in a long time, probably for the entirety of the past two years. Um, and I do not say that to tell everyone, stop counting your reps, just do, just do work and don't care about what you're doing. That's not what I'm saying. Um, what I am saying is that, um, I'm a huge fan of one or two warm up sets to make sure that you know what muscle you're trying to hit and then running your sets to failure, like picking a weight that is, um, heavy enough to produce a stimulus, right? So like you want it to be heavy enough to where it's actually going to produce some muscle tears in your muscle and, and it will eventually bring you to failure. Um, but light enough to where you can really maximize your form and make sure that your form stays perfect the entire time. And then uh, after my warm up sets and I pick my weight, I just run it until I can feel that my form is about to break down. And that's the end of my set. So now I've been lifting since I was 13. I'm 32. And um, I think that's really important to note that, you know, after two decades, I've just started doing this. Um, and really up to this point, I've almost solely used an eight to 12 scheme for muscle building. Um, when I started powerlifting, yes, obviously I did move more towards uh, singles, doubles and triples. I did more sets of six, but for the most part, if I'm building power, strength and hypertrophy all at once, like eight to 12 is the way to go. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in eight to 12 because like I was talking about earlier, it just really keeps you pushing. Um, it keeps you pushing the weight. It keeps you pushing the intensity and it, it I think is a good rep range to where the weight is like I was just talking about, it will stimulate a change, but it's light enough to where you can really feel your form, your first couple of reps and feel that you're doing exactly what you want to do. And then you'll know when your form starts to break down because you start to really, really struggle. Um, so yes, the, the short answer to that is yes, I do deviate. Um, and especially, so like, let's talk about some more advanced training methods, like some drop sets or, um, pyramid sets. Um, there are a number of reasons why you're not just going to do a straight eight to 12. Um, and you might do like, I do AMRAP sets. I will also write in there a hundred total reps where, you know, that's what literally what you have to do. So if I put that on Chris's program yeah. and I put 135 on hip thrusts, she's going to go for as long as she can. And she might get 33 reps her first set. And then she might get 20 and then she might get 17 and then she might get 12, but eventually she's going to reach a hundred total reps. And then that's the end of that set, but that'll probably be a finisher for her on, on mm-hmm. that day. Um, so yes, there are other reasons why you would use, uh, different training modalities. Um, but I would definitely say that, um, learning intentionality and maximum effort are first before you start thinking about drop sets, before you start thinking about, uh, honestly, even like, uh, changing your range of motion, I would say just stick with full range of motion exercises first. Um, I, I don't do a ton of alterations on my range of motion work usually it's it's just full range of motion like my my pull-ups my arms are going to be completely locked out at the bottom i'm going to go up and they're going to be completely locked out at the bottom at the end of my next rep and that's how i'm going to do my pull-ups that's how you should do your lat pull downs too uh, that's how you should do your bicep curls that's you know what i mean so there there are again there are no rule is hard and fast in bodybuilding right because like we were talking about everyone's different everyone's going to need something different and there's always going to be a reason why you have to make some kind of alteration. Um, but there will definitely be some uh, hard and fast for beginners. And I think eight to 12 is definitely one of them. I'd also encourage you to write your weight. Yes. So when you're go- like, 
if you have a phone or an app or a notebook or something like that, it just is so much easier to go into the gym, knowing kind of what range of weight you can use in that eight to 12 versus like doing your first set and like, Oh, that's too late. You're doing your first set. And it's like crazy heavy. And now you're like fatigued. Mm -hmm. You should kind of like have an idea. And also it helps you with progressive overload and like continuing to advance. Cause if you're, you know, doing shoulder presses with 30 pounds and you're hitting 12 reps and you're like, Oh wow. Like that I've advanced to that level. Then it's about like, you know, making it harder in a different Mm -hmm. aspect the next time around. So like the data, I know it's annoying for some people. They just want to go in there do their workout and they don't want to write anything down. I have found that writing my weight down has helped me because I can refer back and say like, okay, I, I have pressed it, you know, 225 for 10 on this day. So, and I'm feeling really good today. Let's shoot for a little bit more or feeling really fatigued. So let's, you know, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, I'll drop the weight, mm-hmm. but I'll stay within a relative range to get the most out of that, that rep range. Well, another thing to touch on is, that um so this is a podcast mostly for bikini athletes and at the end of the day the uh getting 225 or 10 reps the next week isn't as important as having the same glute activation the next week yeah so like chris was talking about if you're tired if you're fatigued if you're mentally stressed out from work your body sees all stress the same so working out and recovery and building muscle is all, all about stress mitigation so what we need to make sure of is that our body has the capability to recover from the amount of work that we're putting into it. So if she goes into the gym that day, she's feeling really down, drop to 185. Make sure that you're feeling your glutes work. And that is what's most important. Now, of course, that linear progression model, trying to add weight or reps every single week, that's going to keep you progressing. But maintaining that intentionality of making sure that your muscles are actually being activated properly, that is what's going to get you the best hypertrophy gains. So is there a specific... I think you're a pen and paper person. Um, is there a specific app or any th- recommendations that you guys have on tracking that? Um, I, we have used um, bodybuilding.com has a little training log. That's really nice. It has like, it's built like literally specifically for to be a training log. Um, I use Google Sheets for all my clients because as soon as they update it, I can see it. Um, so I put the actual load in there for them to record. I put the RPE rating, which is rate of perceived exertion. Um, that's kind of a, a more advanced modality as well, because like, like we were talking about, if you think maximal effort is only actually a seven on the actual RPE scale, uh, it's just going to, it's going to be a little skewed. So I really put that in there to have athletes start to consider how hard was this set really, you know, and could I have done more? Could I have done better? Could I have done more reps? Um, so I put that in there too. And then uh, what else? Reps just and reserve. Reps and reserve, which is just how many more reps you could have done. Um, because we want to keep that around like, I don't know, anywhere from one to four more reps, which again is kind of hard to gauge sometimes, especially if you've never thought about it before. But that's why I put it in there, is just to have the athletes think about that. Uh and then I put a little notes section just so that they can write down some notes. Like I was feeling drained today and and this wasn't working. I was uh feeling really good today and and things were firing properly, you know, so you know like if you were having a really good day and you did hip thrusts at X amount of weight for X amount of reps, then the next week you come in and you're feeling like trash, then like, you know, that there's a reason why your training seems like it's suffering that week when in actuality, it's just, we, we just need to practice a little bit of auto-regulation and pay attention to what our bodies are telling us. Yeah. I know a couple of my clients use the strong app and they really like that, but, um, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that one. I've heard of Trainerize. Um, Playbook is another is another good one. Um, yeah, there there are a few good ones. Um, I just I honestly I, Google. I just have so much information that I'm trying to like convey <laughs> and and get in return from people that I found spreadsheets just to to work the best for me. But um, I know I, a lot of people don't like spreadsheets. So yeah, I've used Trainerize. I did not like it because you can't actually write in your weights. You just get your program and read yeah. it, but you can't like actually fill in what. Which I think book is like that too, you know, and then you have to have like, 
but then your coach doesn't get the feedback that they need to program you for the next week, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It just kind of records like if you completed the workout or like how long it took you and then you give yourself a rating on what it was like, I think (laughs) if it's still the same, (laughs) I haven't used it in a hot second because I didn't really love it. But. And it's probably great for like gen pop and like for people who don't have specific goal, people who are working out or exercising, mm-hmm. right. But people who are training, which is by definition, like, like trying to develop a very specific skill set. for people who are training, you really need to see that linear progression. You need to see where you've come from and where you're going. Yeah. I mean, I think the app is more about like encouraging you like, Hey, you got 10 workouts and like, okay, that's not really where we're at. Right. With bodybuilding. Yeah. So um, with a specific goal, like we already have that down. <laughs> That's the yeah. non-negotiable part of it is getting moving. So yeah, I like those suggestions. Um, well, we, before we hop off, is there anything that you wanted to share with the audience that we haven't talked about? Um, I don't think so. I think we touched mostly everything. Okay. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. I'm glad that you came on and having both of you kind of like the trainee and the trainer. It's interesting to hear both of your perspectives. And um, so if they would like to find you, TC, I'll put things in the show notes, but kind of what are some ways that they can reach out to you with questions? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I have a website. It's recklesstraining.com, R-E-C-K-L-E-S-S, training.com. Um, um, my email is recklesstraining at gmail.com. Um, my Instagram is longshotgamble. Um, and I think that's about it. Right. Yeah. That's all I am. I'm not very widespread online yet. I'm kind of an old man, <laughs> a younger man's body. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, um, maybe we'll talk about your Arnold experience some other time, but <laughs> we didn't quite get to that. We ran yeah. out of time. So, uh, if you would like to find us on Instagram, you can find us at Prep Life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. And if you would like to apply for the team and get your unique unicorn prep, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Anger, signing off with my fabulous co host and yes. manicorn. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. Uh, signing off with TC and Reckless Training. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>